Talkers. Welcome to Speak and Destroy, episode 40. Speak and Destroy is a podcast about all things Metallica, and I am your host, Ryan J. Downey. My guest this episode is Jeremiah Scott, guitarist of the band Demon Hunter. It has been my pleasure and honor to be the manager for Demon Hunter for about the last 15 years. Jeremiah joined the band officially in 2012, but has been part of our extended family for a lot longer. He's also the producer and engineer on all of the band's most recent records, going back to True Defiance, Extremist in 2014, Outlive in 2017, and 2019's War and Peace, two separate albums that were released on the same day, Use Your Illusion style. Jeremiah has also played with the Nashville thrash band Destroy, 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 and was part of one of the later lineups of The Showdown, together with Demon Hunter lead guitarist Patrick Judge and drummer Tim Yogi Watts. As a producer, he's worked with all of his own bands, as well as legendary Christian metal band Living Sacrifice, Further Seems Forever, the Tony Danza Tap Dance Extravaganza, and Project 86. Jeremiah is a consummate man's man who built his own home in rural Tennessee basically by hand over the last several years. Uh, He's also just a charming and good-natured, wonderful guy, a great husband, a great father to three beautiful children, and most of all, in my world, a very great friend. Jeremiah loves Metallica. I love Metallica. So guess what? I had him on Speak and Destroy to talk about Metallica. So here it is, my conversation with Jeremiah Scott of Demon Hunter. This is Speak and Destroy. great place to start is and one of the one of the reasons why i'm excited about having you on here is for all the years i've known you and as close of friends as we are i'm going to find out things that i have never known for example what was the first music that turned you on to where you were like okay this music's going to be a big part of my life you know were your parents listening to stuff around the house or you know where did that come from yeah my parents actually didn't I don't know anybody else who can beat me on, you know, no music in the house. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, <clears throat> yeah, my – okay, so all I remember my mom rocking was that Journey's Greatest Hits. <laughs> nice. uh, she would play that when she's cleaning the house, and I think she just kind of played it just because we had that stereo, so might as well, you know? Um, and then my my dad, man, he he's kind of like me. Uh Driving down the road, he doesn't want to hear anything. Um, no radio is what I'm saying. So he definitely didn't have any tapes or, you know, definitely not CDs back when I was a kid in the car. And uh, just no radio. So we kind of just – I mean, I remember on long road trips, it was just um, a CB radio. So we could just listen to the truckers talk. And then whenever they ever got a little, you know, a little uh, trashy, you know, my mom's like, all right, that's enough of that. And she shut it off. But uh, <clears throat> whenever they started so talking like, about lot lizards or whatever, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just like so. We really didn't have anything. Now I've gone back and I've got my dad's vinyl records, and I'm like, 
man, dad, you were into some cool stuff, you know, and I'm digging through and he's got like, old Zeppelin records and stuff in there. And, um, I just never heard it. They never really played it for me, but I did have an older brother. I'm sorry, not older brother, but an older sister and an uncle who is basically an older brother. So whenever I kind of started hitting like the 10, nine and 10 years old, Eric, you know, age, they were in the early teens and they were getting into stuff. So that's really what it was from. It wasn't from the hmm. parents. Was this your dad's brother or your sister's brother? So my, my mom. Or, sorry, your mom's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm making my it more complicated than uh, it needs to be. My mom's littlest brother, youngest brother, was born like six months before my sister. Mm. Okay, so my sister had an uncle that was six months older than her. Okay, so that's kind of how it works out. And my sister never, uh, sorry, my mom never really looked at <clears throat> my uncle Mike as, you know, a little brother. Kind of looked at him more as like, you know, another kid, you know? Yeah. Um, and then he he would come back and he would stay with us for summers. And then whenever he graduated high school, I was in junior high and he came to live with us. Just kind of like, you know, get out of his town and move to a different city. So uh, really my formative years as a, you know, early teenager, I had this 19 year old kind of an older brother figure basically sharing a room with me. And um, yeah, man, he, he really got me into a lot of this stuff. And that was, I didn't even realize there was anything other than what was on the radio. You know what I mean? And you know, that some of that's going to sound strange or complicated to some people in some part of, parts of the world, but those of us who grew up in the American Midwest or the American South, it's not strange at all. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I had a, I, ha I have a half-sister who's almost 20 years older than me and a, and a half-brother who's, who's in there. <laughs> I didn't know somewhere. if you were referring to the uh, part of my uncle being kind of an older brother or if you're referring to the part of there's nothing other than just the radio <laughs> <laughs> well both actually but, like, yeah, they're but, both strange but yeah. yeah but i meant the uh yeah the the general the closeness where you know you can have an uncle that's closer in age to you you know more like a sibling and you know sometimes i mean i grew up knowing people that had aunts and uncles that were younger than them <laughs> and I had, oh yeah. you know and i and i had a lot of cousins uh who were more like aunts and uncles, uh, you know, because generationally they were 10, 15, 20 years older than me. So it's like even though we're cousins, like you're almost more of an uncle or, or an aunt. Um, yeah. I, you, before we go too much further, I want to ask you, you, you mentioned your dad being like you. Are you still like that now when there's no wife or kids in the car? Do you just – do you want silence when you're driving? Okay, no, I totally dig listening to music and podcasts and whatnot on the road. But I found out what it was, what I hated about listening to something in the car. And I, I discovered it. I can't, it can't be curated for me. It can't be a DJ. It can't be, you know, just some programming. I have to select it. So if, you know, whenever you got your CD booklet or your tape, you know, box of tapes and you can play whatever you want, then I'm jamming all day in my vehicle. Like it's always blasting. But uh, as soon as you shut, you know, you take the tape out and you're about to put in the next tape and then there's the radio for a second. Mm -hmm. I, I cringe and I and I, a little bit dies me every time. Um, <laughs> I just can't. I can't do that, man. And um, kind of same with TV. So I'm glad the way things are kind of going now to where, you know, you got Spotify or Netflix. You can choose what you want to watch then and there. I'm right there with you with TV. I, it, it's been several years now since I've 
you know, I, I was kind of an early adapter with cord cutting. Uh, so, I, I mean, it's been a very long time since I've just turned on the TV and been like, let's see what's on. I mean, and, and you know, granted, I will go like, let me go, you know, look in Hulu. Let me look in Netflix and find something to watch. But it's so yeah, much different than, than the days of just turning it on and the TV is just on. Okay, so see how around. you know how yeah. you think that, and a lot of people agree, you know, with that. So take that and then go back to 1994, and that's how I was with radio. I was yeah. already tired of it being, you know, programmed for me. I did, I could not stand the the radio DJ going, "Hey, you're listening to," huh, 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 and then just start, ah, it just killed me, and I couldn't listen to them. <laughs> and then just commercials for days, and then you might hear two songs, and then. Whatever. So, um, yeah. which, which, all that being said, we do greatly appreciate all the radio DJs out there playing Demon Hunter. <laughs> yes, yes, we do. But they, but that's the beauty. That's the beauty of. I'm going to pull myself. I'm going to pull my foot out of my mouth for a second and go ahead and cover that up. I'm going to say that, that that's a difference with a metal DJ than that's a good. You point. know the top 40 rock that you're getting in Alvin, Texas in 1994. You know what I'm saying? A huge difference. Totally. I mean, I mean, you you could even argue that that specialty radio is more in that category of what we were just talking about with uh, Spotify and and Netflix and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I can listen to uh, radio personalities all day long if it's their personality or their podcast. You know, that's them. But those DJs in the nineties, we're just falling into whatever format. Whoever created that, I think. I think one uh, DJ told me that was uh, it's called chucking, maybe. Um, that the, hey, Harry, you know, there's a term for that. Oh, uh, yeah, the the term should definitely be like yeah. I think it's chucking. <laughs> I mean, I really do. Which I, sounds which sounds appropriate because it's got that like. But they know, wanted up you chucking. know, it's like oh, you have to do this. To be on our, you know, anyway, so it just, it really turned me off. So I wouldn't want to listen to the radio. It really kind of just gives me anxiety. Um, and <laughs> I could be listening to top 40 radio and I'm about to just, but you know, my nerves are on edge. My blood pressure's spiking. And then I could go, oh, I can't stand this anymore. And I'll cut it off and I'll play death metal. And I'm like, ah, oh, just calm down. <laughs> and I don't, that's weird. I know, but Hey man. I guess that's just a metalhead deep yeah. in his heart. I don't know. It's not weird at all. I mean, I I, I, I get what you mean about, a, you know, having it sort of forcibly curated for you. And I think also, you know, our generation growing up, there were so many less choices. So if you were even if you were going to listen to the radio, you're still getting, uh, you know, very specific playlists and, you know, certain things that make it into rotation. And it's it's really being... You know, it's like only having two different restaurants to eat from your whole life, <laughs> and uh, you know, yeah. with two menus. Like, I mean, just... uh, think back to you uh, and discovering stuff. How many times did you discover something because you're listening to Top Forty Radio, and then you hear something? You're like, oh man, that that's a sound, or what is this? And it blows you away. Now go back to how many times did you have a friend drop something on your desk, or um, you know, someone play something? in their car for you. And then, you know, it's just, you're going to get, you know, you're going to get deeper that way. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I mean, now that you mention it, I can't remember discovering anything via there you go. mainstream radio. 
I'll listen to Spotify now, and I'm listening to a record that I really like. And then this is uh, something's happened to me a couple times recently. You know, you let the record kind of just end, uh-huh. and then something else starts playing. And then Spotify's like, oh, well, you'll like this. Yeah. yeah. No, so I think that whatever algorithm they're using is great because I'm like, oh, I dig that. Oh, I already know what that is. Oh, that's cool. I mean, what is this? Like, and one out of every ten songs, I'm like, yeah, skip, and then uh, I'll skip it. But then um, recently, something kicked on, and I was like, dude, this is like rocking. What is this? This is amazing. And I go check it out, and it's an artist, uh, you know, an album. I go, oh, cool. And then like 30 minutes later, a completely different song comes on, and I'm like, dude, what is this? And I go and looked. And it's the exact same artist and same record. <laughs> so then I'm like, okay, now I'm kind of being inspired here. I'm being kind of impressed, blown away, you know. So I've had that happen a couple of times recently, and I can tell you what those were if you wanted or not. But I never had that with radio. I don't think. Like you said, there's algorithms. I mean, it it really is. And and if I'm not mistaken, I think every time you're skipping one of those suggested songs, it's logging that too and figuring out more about you. Oh, for sure. That's yeah. why I do it. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll be on a ladder installing a light fixture, and I'm like, oh, whatever this is, I hate it. And I'll climb down just to go hit skip. <laughs> just so to make sure it knows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to perfect its algorithm for my taste. I love it. It's learning. It's evolving. It makes me think of Spotify as like the Terminator. So where did, you know, at what point did learning how to play an instrument enter into the picture for you and and what and what type of music and what bands and stuff were you listening to at that time oh um okay so yeah metal and metal was there kind of first but it was really um it was really uh overwhelming okay uh, just the musicianship okay yeah, yeah so i didn't consider it as something i could also do i just kind of enjoyed it I really the imagery was first. It was my sister and my, like I said, my uncle, and I saw the Iron Maiden posters on their walls and the Metallica posters, and um, it was just the imagery really got me at first. But I didn't, that was never like I would just go in there and just look at those posters, especially the Somewhere in Time with Eddie. You know, I'll because my sister had like a six foot tall poster of that on her wall. Um, it almost went from floor to ceiling. So much detail on those Derek Riggs paintings too, where you can find, Oh, there's a little cat over there and you know, just like yeah. stuff hidden. Yeah. So I will stare at those, you know, when I was like 10 or whatever. So it wasn't so much the music yet. Cause the music was definitely scary, but it wasn't like, you know, you know, it was very intriguing to me, but then, um, so yeah, I never considered trying to play metal. But then, of course, in the 90s, when the grunge movement kicked in and came around, and I, was, <laughs> I heard how easy those guitar parts were, right. I also was like, oh, now I can play guitar. If this is all it takes to be in a band, I can do that. And so I got a guitar. And then um, I just had an almost identical conversation with Derek from Sum 41, uh, For Speak and Destroy, where he was talking about, you know, loving Metallica and... Uh, and ha that exact same thing where, as a guitar player, the idea of doing that stuff was intimidating. And then he heard Nirvana and was like, oh, <laughs> maybe well, I can go. do this. Yeah. Yep. Same Z's over here. So, um, I, yeah, it wasn't as daunting. I was able to pick up and play Smells Like Teen Spirit or whatever. Or, um, and then... And then after a couple of years of that, you realize, oh, okay, I could probably try some of this metal and then 
you know, up your game once you've got past the simple bar chords, you know what I mean? Yeah. What were uh, some of the first riffs you remember learning? Uh, metal or just in general? In, in, in general. Um, let's see, my first strumming pattern, just like just right hand, which is like the first day of me having a guitar. My guitar wasn't in tune, but I was doing Plush by Stone Temple Pilots. <laughs> that da 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 yeah. da 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 you know. So I did song. that. And then I was like, oh, I got to learn what the left hand does. And um, let's see. Uh, and then I learned the little dinky, stupid little – I mean, this is so corny. I cannot come up – I can't imagine writing this now and going, hey, guys, I wrote a riff that's an intro to a song, not only an intro to a song, but, you know, but it's uh, Today by Smashing Pumpkins, that little – it was so cool to me back then. I don't know if it was really that cool or if it was just like, okay, this is about as easy as it possibly can get. Yeah. So I'll learn that. Um, but yeah, those are the things. And I had like a girlfriend, like my first girlfriend at the time. I think I was just trying to like, you know, show her that I wasn't a complete idiot and I could do something, you know, <laughs> my, my older brother showed me on, cause my, my older brother was a, a bass player. And he showed me the only thing I can play on a bass. If you hand me one right now, still is do 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 from <laughs> the little Cliff Burton lick. No, that's um, not bad at all. Yeah, I mean, but it's literally, and it's just um, it's like muscle memory. You know, like I don't know what I'm doing. I just my hands remember how to where my fingers should go to do that. Oh yeah. So you mentioned the Metallica posters, and so where did Metallica enter? So my sister did something. She had notebook paper, and she just drew the logo about 40 different times. Uh, and then she would just kind of, I guess, I don't know if she was really much of an artist or not. It might have not even been her, because I don't think I ever saw her draw anything other than that. It might have been like a boyfriend drawing for her. But it would be the Metallica logo on notebook paper, like school notebook paper. And then it would be colored in with like spider webs. And then... She just had those plastered all over one side of her wall. And so that's all I really even knew what that was. I thought it just took a word over and over again. Um, and then my uncle moved down, and he had like a little, uh, what is it, a Nissan, like a little Nissan truck that he had slammed or lowered down to the ground. <laughs> with uh, It was red. It was lowered. It didn't have power steering. And it had like a camper on the back with subs all through it. Okay. Gnarly. And, um, like speak sub speakers or whatever. And, um, he would play, you know, rap or whatever in there, but he also listened to like a lot of punk and metal too. And then I remember hearing Metallica through that. And that's, I was like, you know, he'd just be driving me around. We'd go skateboarding or something like that. And, um, he's playing whatever. And I'd be listening and asking what was going on. And, uh, I think he was driving me and a friend around, and I remember the kid, just a little country kid, going, hey, man, do you have any of that stuff by Metallica? <laughs> and then yeah. my uncle Mike is like, what? And he's like, Metallica, it's a, it's a cool band. You know, you, you'd be into it. Like he's trying to – this 12-year-old kid is trying to tell my uncle he's trying to what step Metallica up. is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, my uncle just started, you know, of course, making fun of him and goes, dude, I have it right here. And he put it in. And of course, he wanted to blow our hair back with those subs and everything. So I'm basically, you know, listening to it justice for all. 
something off of him just for all. I don't know what it was. Just really loud in uh, <laughs> in a little lowered pickup truck that was meant to be playing like you know hip hop or something. I picture this like your uncle is Todd and you and your friend are Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Check this yeah, he'd out. be hitting us and, and and punching us all the time and knocking us over and all sorts of stuff. You know what? In your friend's defense, back in that era, even. Uh, you know, a, a friend of mine likes to call it secret knowledge. You know, subcultural information was a lot of word of mouth and a lot of magazines and fanzines and, you know, buying a record because you liked the cover art or you saw someone sketched out the logo. So there would be times where you would hear yourself say Metallica because it's a word you'd only seen and read a million times but didn't know anyone else who knew what it was, so no one had ever said it in front of you, you know? like Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, hats off to that kid. Uh, I mean, his name was Chad. That was the kid's name. Hats off to Chad. You know, he at least was able to keep his you know finger on the pulse enough to even have heard of it, you know? Yeah. It, it's part of, like, early reading skills and stuff, too. Like, I, you know, I grew up reading comic books, and in X-Men comics, they would always talk about how Cyclops and Jean Grey had a psychic rapport. And I grew up reading that word all the time, knowing what it meant, but thinking it was pronounced rapport <laughs> because I never heard yeah. anyone actually say it, <laughs> you know, like, so cheers for cheers. For I think trying. Metallica sounds better than Metallica. Don't it, you think it does? I think they went with the right, they went with the right, uh, what is it? Uh, the right pronunciation. It's one of those band names too, where, <laughs> uh, you know, I have this conversation uh, and, you know, recently even um, when it comes to naming things, there are so many names that we take for granted because the brand and the identity of it overtook the actual word. Because in reality, you know, if you were trying to come up with it right now, Metallica would sound like a terrible band name for a metal band, you know, or Megadeth or, you know, Target, a store called target like why is it called target you know what i mean but we just the the brand identities have overtaken it and overshadowed it to where we just associate it with that particular thing now we don't really i mean tool is a terrible band name but yeah. i just, but i just think of it as tool i'm not really thinking about oh i think about that all the time i'll still go back and think about how ridiculous smashing pumpkins or <laughs> right. pearl jam is yeah uh but then i mean i don't know some stuff still like pantera sounds really cool to me uh um, yeah and it's like did pantera always sound cool you know did Iron Maiden always sound cool? Like, I mean, Judas Priest. No, I mean, Maiden there are some names. Sounded cool. Yeah. You got to, you got to admit that always sounded awesome. Yeah, Judas Priest was. But always I know you like awesome. Megadeth. Megadeth uh, was cool then, but I can see how, like, if you named it now, it'd be kind of, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I had some uh, hipster friends that would make fun of my Megadeth shirts and go like, "Oh, oodles of death, tons, yeah. tons, and tons <laughs> of death." Well, yeah, uh, my wife Becky, she is a. Uh, the other day, sometimes she, I'll just be talking about something and she just starts either rolling her eyes or laughing at me because she has no idea. She's not a metalhead at all. And then she's like, what was the name of that song title? I'm like, Covered with Sores. It's by Cannibal Corpse. And she just <laughs> is like, what? Covered with Sores? Get out of here. Like, like oh, yeah, it's like an old Cannibal Corpse song. You're like, yeah, from the, from the band that brought you such hits <laughs> as Hammer Smash Face. And <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Oh man, it is. A, yeah, it's secret knowledge, secret language. 
but yeah, I don't think about, you know, I think about Exodus as a badass band name, but I don't think about, you know, Exodus with, you know, it, it doesn't conjure the Bible to me. I just think of the band Exodus, you know, mm. when I'm thinking about it, or Testament or, you know, I mean, a lot of, in Megadeth, I think is a, a badass name, but it's taken on the identity that the band has kind of put on it, which, you know, is a nice correlation here with Demon Hunter, because I, I don't know that it's accurate to say that it was a joke name, but it was definitely my understanding is it was definitely conjured in a conversation that consisted of what's the like corniest, most on the nose, straight up Christian metal band name we can come up with. And they were spitballing as a, you know, that part was a joke. And then someone said Demon Hunter and they kind of laughed and then they went, wait, it's actually kind of badass. Maybe yeah. that should be a band. But yeah, it's the same thing. It's like now I just think of Demon Hunter as the band. Yeah, because you, you, can, you can start trying a little too hard, you know, especially yes. with Christian metal. You start going down and you start uh, – sometimes metalheads aren't, you know – say you get a group of them. They're just not the smartest guys, but you feel like they just started using a – thesaurus to figure out scary evil heavy <laughs> sounding words and yes. it can start to get a little ridiculous if it goes too far so uh demon hunter definitely isn't getting ridiculous you know what both those words are and you know yeah it's more on the nose but yeah. at least it's not trying too hard i don't know man it's it's there's i'd have such anxiety if i had to come up with another band name right now it just it's it's gotta be so hard i know and then for anthrax i felt so bad for them when uh the big anthrax scare was happening because <laughs> it was like all of a sudden, you know, uh, I mean, gosh, and the, and your worst of all ISIS, the band. ISIS, yeah. I was going to say ISIS. <laughs> so screwed. Uh, I remember they changed their Facebook page from, cause they had like slash ISIS, I think. And then it, they changed it to ISIS, the band. Uh, well, we, you have people who named their kids ISIS. Yeah. Because, uh, what is it? ISIS? Isn't that a, um, like an old, uh, like a, I'm not sure. I really don't know, but I think it's like an old uh, god or something like that from like some mythology or yeah, no, totally. Um, is that right? Yeah. Okay, so uh, someone, yeah, there's been plenty of people who've named their kids ISIS, and then, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's a um, a Greek goddess. I don't remember, or uh, Egyptian maybe. I think Egyptian. Yeah, I don't think Greek because I would definitely. You know, I would know more about it because I pretty much I know quite a bit about Greek mythology. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I was talking about Greek mythology just earlier today to myself. So, <laughs> you know, that's how often I bring that up. But I, I really? think ISIS, yeah, how Egyptian I, might sound right. I appreciate talking to yourself once in a while. I realized. A well, couple... I wasn't talking to myself. I was recording another podcast. Oh, and I was, well, you recorded, so I brought it up. Yeah. Well, a couple of days ago, I actually said out loud to myself, I hate small talk. It was right after somebody had delivered something to my house and we'd had some small talk and I closed the door and I walked in my kitchen and I said out loud, <laughs> I hate small talk. <laughs> I thought you were saying you hated small talk to yourself. Like you don't even want to have small talk. With yourself. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the thing is I don't know that it, I, I hate the concept of it so much as I don't know that I, I just don't feel I'm particularly good at it. Uh, so it gets, it gets awkward for me real fast. So Metallica, that was your first encounter with Injustice for All. That was your first encounter with the logo, which I think speaks so much to the importance of a lot of classic metal band logos um, and how, you know, the, the mystique and the kind of uh, invitation to the journey that they uh, 
present when you first see them, you know. When did Metallica become something that was yours as opposed to something that was being, you know, foist upon you? Uh, so I started taking guitar lessons. And um, let's see. So I was taking guitar lessons and I had, you know, a girlfriend. And then I think she went with me once to the, to the lesson because she was kind of maybe getting into guitar. And so um, the guy teaching me lessons was – you know, maybe early twenties and just a, you know, kind of a, uh, you know, kind of a, I guess, a, like some kind of an older trashy kind of guy. Right. And, um, he was, uh, after the lesson, he was kind of sitting there piddling around. And then my girlfriend was just, you know, oohing over him. Just, wow. You know, she just thought he was so impressive. <laughs> and I was like, man, this guy's like a dork, you know? And then, uh, but he had that guitar. And she, I don't think she paid much attention to him at first, but then whenever he pulled out an acoustic guitar and started playing around, I saw her eyes light up. And I was like, oh, man. Well, I'm just going to have to learn how to play this thing better. But um, so she's like, play Nothing Else Matters. And then hmm. so he started playing it, and I just saw how simple that was. It's like, dude, this guy is not even using his left hand. <laughs> and he's playing Nothing Else Matters. And she is just like her, you know, falling in love. I was like, I can do that. You know, and I know that that was Metallica. So then I was, but then again, I didn't know that metal could be that easy. I thought metal was only really, really difficult. Um, I mean, the guy was probably teaching me a green day song or something like that mm -hmm. right before. Right. And then here I am seeing, no, but Metallica can be, you know, it is accessible for me to play. I can play that now, especially since the dude's not even using his left hand yet. <laughs> And then, um, <clears throat> so I, you know, I went home and then I had a whole bunch of guitar world magazines and then there's all those tabs in the back. And, yeah. Um, I was reading those wrong, by the way, for like the first year, I didn't know what tab was. I was reading the, the staff notes and then I would just look up what note that was and then find it somewhere on the guitar. And then just, it took me 10 times longer. To Took you 10 way. times longer, but probably in some ways was better for you, right? Cause it probably, no, because I never no. learned how to read music for real. I just <laughs> knew how it worked. Yeah. But, you know, so, uh, yeah. Well, eventually I, I go, you know what? When I'm doing here on my guitar, looks an awful lot like what those notes are, those numbers are on those lines. Yeah. And then it all clicked. Like, no one ever told me that's what tab was. I just figured it out. Again, secret knowledge. So, I mean, this was in an era where you couldn't go take guitar lessons on YouTube. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, you have to take it from some dude who's trying to steal your girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. So I learned, um, so I learned, you know, I, I quickly found nothing else matters in some guitar world magazine or something. And then, you know, I'm going to show her. She wasn't nearly as impressed with me playing it as she was dude, but uh, that was okay. Now I can play this stuff. And then, so yeah. I started just kind of wearing that, Definitely the Black Album started wearing that one out. And that song is one of the uh, the rare Hetfield solos. Mm-hmm. Which I can't play. Uh, it seems it seems tough. And it's <laughs> and it's uh, a song that, um, is, uh, if I recall correctly, it wasn't even really intended to be a Metallica song. It was just kind of something he wrote in a hotel room or whatever, and then it ended up finding its way into that record. So would you say the Black Album was the first record of theirs that you really wore out 
Or was that just yeah, the that's first what I, one? Yeah, that's what I started wearing out. Um, of course, going backwards to me was – it was great because at the time, that was all that was there was the Black Album. If you wanted more, you know, if you're done with this, you, you don't have to wait for the next one. That's what's so cool about finding a band in the middle of their career. Yeah. You have back stuff to go. You know, you can go backwards. And it'll and that stuff is not easy to digest. So you got, you know, a good year or two of digesting this stuff before whatever the next one comes out. You know what I'm saying? That was something I loved about comic books. You know, when I got really into X Men comics, I didn't have to just wait a month for the next issue. I could go to the comic book shop and buy back issues and Oh yeah. Get all caught I still up think about everything. just music in general is that I don't have to sit here and wait for something awesome. You know, oh man, nothing's really blowing my hair back these days. Dude, there is so much. You can go I don't have to listen and wait around for new music. I can just go back and go, what was album of the year or like rock album of the year in nineteen, you know, seventy six? And just yeah. Oh, it better be impressive because it was impressive enough to be the album of the year that year. And then you're not you shouldn't you know, you won't be disappointed for the most part. Yeah, and you know, to that point, uh, you know, as you know, obviously we're people that have made music our career and it's such a huge part of our lives and so on, and I'm an obsessive fan of so many things. I also recognize that there are things that I like that I still have yet to really really dive into. Like I haven't had a Pink Floyd phase or a Beatles phase or a Stones phase. And those are all bands that I, that I like. And I know the kind of signature songs and, you know, I, I'm certainly very aware of all of those bands and their impact and legacy, but I've never really, you know, gone through a period where I'm like, I'm one by one in chronological, the Pink Floyd catalog. You know, there's so <laughs> much undiscovered country for me there. And I find that exciting. I'm, I'm actually yeah, yeah, excited that we, I we still have, have enough. that. Yeah. You know, we have enough. We don't have to <laughs> keep. We can stop making music. Everyone could, you know. And then there, there's plenty to go back and still listen to. And I'm just thinking about my my daughters who are six, and um, I mean they've got they can just dig into it. You know, they'll have so much by the time that they're really getting into it. Yeah. And hopefully, they're just not listening. Hopefully, I would have you know gotten them to just not rely on whatever the pop thing is that day. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They can. There's always something you can go back to. Movies, too, but definitely books. Books usually hold up. Movies won't hold up as much because of, like, you know, just what it is. Video, uh, you know, quality and hairstyles even. You know, you're watching, like, um, Star Wars or Empire Strikes Back, and then their, their 70s hairstyles really dated, you know, even though it's like a space, <laughs> yeah. a space movie. But, um you know, of course that holds up, but there's other stuff that just won't no, hold I know up you mean. because yeah. the story might or whatever, but man, the effects. So, um, but look, you know, luckily music, it can, you can kind of over, you know, overlook that sort of thing with, you know, bad, you know, audio quality or whatever, as long as the songs are still there, you know what I mean? And to your point about, you know, a band like Metallica discovering them, you know, where you did on album five and having all those records to go back to. Uh, also, e even if you've sort of exhausted that, there's, you know, sideways across similar genres. There's stuff that's a little more extreme. And then there's also something I've always loved doing, which is reverse engineering and unpacking, you know, like 
if someone's really into the band him, it's so awesome to like show them typo negative, you know? Yeah. If they're really well, into yeah. typo or, negative, or show was, them Black Sabbath, you know, like, or yeah. Who influenced Metallica? So right. you can sit there and you go, wow, I really like this band Metallica. So, you know, say I'm like, go back to when I was 13 or whatever, man, they have motorhead shirts and miss misfit shirts on all, you know, that's what they're wearing. They're either wearing Metallica yeah. shirts or motorhead or misfits shirts. That's how I and discovered then, of course, misfits and Sam Hain was via them wearing those shirts. You know, there you go. So you can kind of go yeah. backwards. And then if those groups were good enough to influence this group that you really dig, then, you know, they've got it. There's got to be something to that. You know what I'm saying? Totally. So, yeah, you can just keep getting influenced uh, if you just keep going backwards. So, yeah, I, it didn't bum me out that when I hit Black Album, I was like, I wasn't going back. Oh, this older stuff isn't for me. This is like a different generation or the recording sounds funny. And no, I don't ever look at it that way. That brings up a great question. Where did your interest in producing and engineering and all of that develop? Um, so I was in a band that was like in a like a pop punky. Um, we won't even get into what we sounded like because it was just all over the map. Where that band that there was one dude that was into this, and one guy was into this, and one guy was into this. I think those were the early like, bands that were cobbled together out of necessity. You know, yeah. it wasn't like, who are just, the best guys to play together? It's like, who do we know that plays anything? <laughs> yeah, so we're going through that little phase. You know, we scrounged up 500 bucks to go record somewhere in south of Houston in a little uh, shack. That's It was like a, sh a storage shed that um, I remember was painted bright pink on the outside. You know, along the, uh, the Gulf Coast or whatever, just the beach communities, you'll have a lot of bright colored, you know, buildings. I guess mm -hmm. almost like a, a theme. So uh, I remember it was bright pink with like teal trim and we went in and it's a recording studio in there. So we paid this guy 500 bucks. We st he starts recording our dumb little band and I wanted the kick drum to sound like no effects and just that really snappy high end clicky kick drum. So I was trying to tell the engineer, Hey man, make that sound like this. And I play it for him and he kind of rolls his eyes. He's like, no, it sounds better like this. It sounded terrible. It was just like, <laughs> boom, boom, boom. It sounded like, you know, a marching uh, bass drum for like, you know, a marching band. And the guy was, thought he was nailing it. And I was like, I don't, I don't care what you think is a good kick drum. I want it to sound like this. So I watched his fingers and I watched him kind of turn knobs and push stuff around and the console, I guess, could be a recording console could be real intimidating to somebody, but it never really was to me. I kind of just got that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I was watching him. And I was like, dude, I see that when he's turning that, that's the equalizer. He's able to EQ each individual thing, just like you would EQ your stereo, or whatever. I was like, man, I could do this. So, um, you know, I would try to like start messing with his console whenever he'd be like, get up to go get a drink or something like that. And basically, I just want to be like, hey, man, just move over and let me do this. But it's funny <laughs> to think back because I'm like 14 or 15, uh -huh. you know, trying to tell this engineer to get out of his own, you know, chair so I can do it. Who's never touched a console before. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry, I'm going to cough there. But, um, yeah, I, uh, I just remember going, well, I'm not paying 500 bucks for this guy to mess this up because I already know I can do what he's doing. I see what he's doing. I know what it takes, so I'll just start being the guy who does this. So the next, my next step was just by, you know, the the first thing you can 
you should get, which is like a little four track recorder. And then just went from there. And I don't think I've paid to have anybody record me since then. Wow. And what, did you find yourself at that point? Cause obviously as a guitar player, you're, you know, listening for guitar and things like that and learning songs that you like. Did you find yourself also starting to develop an ear towards production and, you know, because it sounded like you already had a little bit of a handle at 14 on what your preferences were in terms of how things should sound. And, you know, did you start finding yourself learning more about like, oh, who, who produced this album? Because I know there's some people who are really into music that never follow that thread that could care less who the producer was on something. And then there's some people that, you know, that's a, a big deal to them and they can name, you know, 10 records that some producer did. Well, that was obvious whenever I knew I liked Black Album. And then mm. I listened to the stuff before. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, well, that this sounds like, different. Yeah. It's the same exact dudes. Mm -hmm. Why does it sound drastically different? Yeah. Uh, I didn't say any of it was better or worse, but it definitely sounds different. So that was kind of just obvious. I always knew that who was doing it, who was behind the console. Even then, like I'm sitting there like, well, if this guy mixes us, it's going to sound like, you know, junk. But if I mix it, like, as if I knew what I was doing, it would sound different. So definitely, I mean, it was apparent that whoever was behind the console had a huge part in what it sounded like in the end. So um, I think just it was kind of just obvious to me that the producer, you know, or whoever's working the controls was just as much as the sound as the band, but I didn't learn. So that was, you know, I was saying that was an obvious thing to me, mm -hmm. What I didn't learn and I should have learned, but it took a long time is just because you have that guy who did this, you know, just cause you get Terry date to mix your stuff. Doesn't, you're not going to sound like Pantera, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> a lot of it's got to do with the players. Not a lot of it. It's a ton of it has to do with the players and the songs, man. I could have, uh, I wanted that guy to sound, make us sound like no effects. And even if I just go, all right, forget this guy and drove right over the dudes who did the no effects records and went right to their studio, my band would not have sounded like them at all. So that was a lesson that took me a long time to learn. You know, uh, you just get, you have to have it. You know what I'm saying? You got to have that sound already in you. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, my, I remember distinctly my older brother telling me, I, the, the first time I got asked to be in a band, to sing for a band, I was a freshman in high school and it was my, you know, small group of metalhead friends. One played guitar, one played bass, uh, one knew a drummer. The bass player actually I was in, ended up being in several bands with and still a, a close friend that I, uh, you know, text with almost every day. But anyway, in that very first band, it was like they had a couple of originals, but it was mostly covers and they told me to, learn we did sanitarium for whom the bell tolls i'm bored by death angel um a couple other things and i remember telling my older brother that i got asked to like try out for a band sing for a band and you know i was sitting there listening to master puppets on my little boom box on cassette and i distinctly remember my brother telling me just so you know you know, because obviously I was intimidated and I was, you know, wanted to make a good impression and make sure, you know, hope I sounded cool and all that. And my brother was like, just so you know, when you get there, 
it's not going to sound like this. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. what do you mean? And he was like, no matter how good your friends are at their instruments or whatever, like, it's not going to sound anything like what you're listening to right now on this boom box. It's going to be a whole mm -hmm. different experience. And that was something I didn't understand until it actually happened. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, all of us in a room banging around together, this is a completely different thing. Even though it's the same songs, the same notes, this, you know, it could, could even be the same gear. It's just not the same. There's Yeah, and that was kind of my first real clue about like what production and performance and studios and all, all, all how that all really factors in. Yeah. The, um, the audio quality, I mean, being a producer, you would think I care a whole lot about audio quality, but it's actually not even my top, you know, uh, the, it's not a priority to me. For what makes an awesome album and if i've gone back and looked at all my favorite records of wh whoever i've you know i've done this plenty i'm like wow man these are all considered to have bad recording quality yeah you know um a like, lot of its personality you know, what, and vibe you know like yes yeah, so, so i found out that's what's important to me is yeah. the vibe and the song you know uh j just i guess the song itself and even knowing that it came out of a certain time you know, so my favorite record, if, we're, if this is Metallica podcast, I might as well say what my favorite one of theirs is. Yeah, was, it wasn't the first one, but it's my favorite is Ride the Lightning. And uh, that's just because my favorite, some of my favorite songs and riffs are on that one. That's my favorite Metallica album, and for the same reason. So, uh, let's see. Uh, my Wedding Day, 2012? Yeah. I got married in 2012, and then... Um, you know, whenever you walk into the the reception, and then the the guy says, "All right, now introducing yeah. for the first time, Jeremiah." You know, yeah. And then you walk in, and they play something. I don't know some some music. I, I've been to a bunch of weddings, and it's always something. And then they kind of walk in. They're introduced to the to the reception. Mm -hmm. Well, mine was uh, for whom the bell tolls, <laughs> and that was like the, one of the only things I got to actually pick for my wedding. Was uh, you know my wife picked the first song we danced to and what you know what she walked down the aisle to and all that stuff. I go, can I pick this? And she's like, sure. And I picked that. She's like, oh, that's great. So um, <laughs> yeah, there's a video of my wife and I walking in, and it's for whom the bell tolls, like, and then hey, it cuts right into. You're like, hey, it's got it's got it's got bells. It's like wedding bells. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's funny because that that the song plays in its entirety, and then it cuts into um, uh, Simple Man. By, um, uh, oh my god! Well, we didn't do the, we didn't do the. Uh, Simple Man is Skinner, right? Yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm dude, I'm about to get in trouble. Well, she ain't gonna listen to this podcast. Uh, <laughs> some somebody covered it. Some uh, like kind of I don't know who covered it, but it was a cover of Skinner's Simple Man. Uh, male or female? Female. Allison Krauss. Did there she do go. it? Dude, I don't know, man. Uh, oh, man. Well, it don't matter, because what does matter uh, well, is what, it, it was Metallica first. <laughs> yeah, I, I just Googled it, and one of one of the artists that covered it was Screwdriver. I'm pretty sure he didn't yeah, have Screwdriver. Yeah, it wasn't the Screwdriver version. <laughs> no, no, hold on, hold on. I did not dance to um, – that was my mother – 
uh, son dance. Was that Sim- makes more sense. Was Simple Man? Yeah, dude. I'm... <laughs> well, at least I knew what I walked out to. No, um, that was it. Was the mother and son dance with Simple Man, and then it was definitely an Allison Krauss song. I think it was an old Waylon Jennings song that Allison Krauss did. That was our mm. uh, first dance, which I can't remember. Yeah, Simple Man, Shine Down, Government Mule, Deftones. No, we definitely did the Skinnerd version. You didn't do the dangerous toys version. <laughs> no, no, we that, did the Skinner version for my mom, my mother, son dance. I was trying to, I, I got them all mixed up, but there was a, it's all coming back. Yeah. There was a Waylon Jennings song that Alison Krauss did, but none of that mattered. I didn't pick any of that. You know, it's all cool stuff, but like I picked from the Meltals. <laughs> so anyway, go back Sick. to the, uh, the, the and, production. Hey, hey this, t- this ties us right into Metallica <laughs> because uh, that Alison Krauss, Waylon Jennings cover appears on the Waylon Jennings tribute album, which also includes James Hetfield. James Hetfield. Yep. <laughs> we did it. Alana? We did it. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, aw- I'm aware of that because uh, yeah, my wife's got uh, ties to the Waylon Jennings camp and the band. Mm-hmm. Her, her parents were in his band throughout the outlaw years. So, um, you know, I hear plenty about Waylon. We're always doing Waylon tribute shows and all sorts of stuff, like going to those and watching her parents play them. And, and uh, Becky's, she was the one who told me, you know, James Hetfield did something once. And I was like, what? And she showed it to me. Yeah. One of the, one of the few uh, James Hetfield solo things that's out there. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad that I had an opportunity to see Waylon Jennings, you know, because obviously he uh, passed away in recent years. I got to see him on the second stage at Stagecoach, and I want to say I saw him again at one of his own shows. Probably 2010. Oh, Waylon? Yeah. No, Waylon died like in 2001, I think. Am I thinking? Oh, you know what? This I'll, I'll edit myself. I'm thinking of Merle Haggard. <laughs> okay. You know what? We could cut out everything from my wedding on. <laughs> <laughs> we'll clean it up. Or we just aren't remembering anything. We'll clean nah, it up. Uh, yeah, I saw Mer- I saw Merle Haggard at Stagecoach before he died, and then at his own show. Yeah, because he just died a couple years ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're idiot. Hi, old men trying to remember things. <laughs> a podcast. Yeah, so you mentioned Ride the Lightning's your favorite Metallica record. Do you uh let's talk favorite Metallica songs, favorite riffs. You know, give me give me some of your faves. Uh Creeping Death song and riff. Um just the intro. It, it's got a strong intro. It just it's just crushing all the way through. I love how long it is. Yeah, it kind of becomes um, a different song at the end. Yeah, I just it just keeps going, man, and it's just absolutely it's got everything in it. And then so there so working backwards, that becomes my favorite record and, and so on. I mean, I almost uh I was trying to get Creeping Death tattooed just down my forearm. Mm-hmm. And then a buddy of mine got it instead because he is just a jerk like that. <laughs> he uh I was working with him. He and I were screen printing T shirts, it was just me and him at a Zambui and then he's completely covered all over the place. And I was talking about how oh, I got this idea. 
And then he just was like, okay, cool. And then he just went and got it like a couple of days later, just <laughs> didn't even care. And uh, I was that like, well, okay, I'm not doing that. But then yeah. I was going to get the um, the electric chair on my on my hand. That'd be rad. I thought it would look kind of cool. You know, you're, if I'm playing guitar, it would be on my right hand. Mm-hmm. And then just like there's an electric chair right there, you know, right next. You can always see the top of the hand. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't do that. But, you know, I'm just, hey, I was thinking about it. You got to really like a record a whole lot in order for, to get the cover tattooed on your hand. <laughs> yeah, totally. And that title track's got a little Dave Mustaine riff in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, Which one? A little co-write. Uh, Ride the Lightning, the song. He, oh, I don't yeah. think I knew that. Yeah, he's got a co-write on that song and on Call of Cthulhu on that record. Okay. Yeah, we'll see. Now you you learned something, too. <laughs> I'm learning all about you, and now you just learned a little metallic effect. Um, I'll keep it coming. Yeah. So when did you first... Well, see- hey, let me ask you something. Yeah. Why is it Cthulhu? I know that's how they spelled it, but why isn't it Cthulhu? Because uh, they made a mistake. See, I didn't know. Okay, that's that's a very simple answer, and I didn't think it was that simple. Because yeah, it's yeah. Cthulhu. You know, yeah. H.P. Lovecraft, it's Cthulhu. And then yeah. they were on there, it was Cthulhu, and I just never knew. Well, they are re- referencing the same thing. Yeah. You know, is this like a, uh, oh, I love Celtic music, or do you, oh, I love the Boston Celtics. You know, Celtics, yeah. Celtics, some things just kind of like switch. You don't ever know why. And that was one of them. And there's a, uh, I think it's an urban legend. It sounds like a cool story. I'm pretty sure that they just screwed it up and uh, and have admitted as much. But there's a cool story that uh, because in, you know, in the H.P. Lovecraft stuff, that writing out his name or saying his name will bring Cthulhu closer to you. So supposedly Metallica misspelled it on purpose to, uh, you know, keep themselves from bringing <laughs> Cthulhu. To not have a death clock moment where they're playing that song live and then they summon Cthulhu. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. which would, obviously, uh, which yeah, is a great, which is a great now. explanation. I mean, they should, they should <laughs> definitely go with that one. And, uh, yeah. And the, the song was originally called when hell freezes over, uh, back when, um, Mustaine was in the band. And there's versions of When Hell Freezes Over floating around out there. I think demo versions. And so I think Metallica's even released maybe in the uh, the collector's box for Ride the Lightning that came out. And then there, the instrumental on the latest Megadeth record, uh, Dystopia, the instrumental on that song, to me, bears a lot of similarities to Call of Cthulhu. And it's kind of one of those chicken or egg things where it's like, well, I mean, you know, I guess you're allowed to kind of self-plagiarize, <laughs> you know, like it makes sense that yeah, something you wrote will sound familiar and similar to something else you wrote. But um, I don't know. I just found that interesting when that record came out. I was like, this kind of reminds me of Call of Cthulhu. And then it's like, oh, well, that was a Mustaine co-write. So that's fair. Yeah. So when did you first see them live? Uh, load era. Load, uh, load and reload had come out. Cause so, so when I d- dug into them, you know, Black Album was there, mm-hmm. but it wasn't, you know, I'm not going to concerts when I was 12, <laughs> talking right. shows, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I didn't get to see, I didn't go to any concerts until th- that were like a big show. I was just going to like little 
little death metal shows and punk shows that came through. Um, there's this place called Fitzgerald's in Houston that just got torn down like two weeks ago, but that's where I saw all those, you know, small bands. Um, so I was going to that. I didn't get to go to that because that's where my uncle was dragging me to. You know, he's like kind of like in a scene. He's like in the skateboard scene. Um, it never occurred to me that I could just go to a huge concert. Uh, but when Load and Reload had come out and they were touring for those, you know, I think there was even like a, oh, I hear that they're not just playing all that new stuff because, you know, there was a lot of backlash against the road le- Load and Reload stuff. But they're playing, you know, tons. So my buddies and I, oh, okay, we'll still go see them. And, of course, I loved it. But, um, you know, when you're like 17 and you're bummed about them having cut their hair, as if you should have anything to say because myself, I didn't have any long hair. You know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, that was, it was then, and I've probably seen it about uh, seven or eight times since then, but it was always in the round. And the last time I saw them was a long time ago. Uh, but so I was in Nashville and I had this thing that metalheads, a lot of metalheads can get, do this. Uh, I look like a roadie. If I'm just walking around, (laughs) I look like a roadie. Yeah. So what I did at the Bridgestone arena here in Nashville, man, I just, Patrick was with me, Patrick from the other guitar player from Demon Hunter. And we just rolled in to the Bridgestone Arena, just walked right in through the back, the loading dock and everything, just walked right on in and just kept walking and just walked <laughs> past people. And then we walked right out onto the floor, didn't pay for anything. <laughs> they just strolled right on in. And, um, you know, you just look like a roadie. Yeah. I mean, black shirts, black pants. Okay, we get it. You know, just don't wear all your cool studded belts and stuff like that. Don't stand out too much. But uh, Well, and you also have to uh, look like you're – I found that a, a good trick – uh, is to look like you're not all that excited about where you're going and that you're purposefully, you know, like, like, yeah. just, like don't look like you're sneaking in, you know? <laughs> yeah. I don't think I ever look like I'm excited. So yeah, and I've, I've, it's I've, easy I've, for me to do. <laughs> I've gone into warp Tour so many times just by being older and looking like I couldn't be bothered, you know, or, yeah. you know, or sometimes, you know, you get into a show uh, by talking on your phone and you're just, you know, mm. you're really busy and you're walking fast and you're heading to the production office. Um, yep. You just kind of have a look about you of like, do I look like I'm not supposed to be here? Because I am. Yeah, yeah so I've, I look got, like I've I'd been be doing trying that to sneak in. Yeah, 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 I've been doing that for a while. And I did that for this show. And so I remember Patrick and I kind of walked all the way down to the front. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, it was the round. And yeah. I remember going, uh, I think I saw a microphone stand and a Marshall amp that kind of got wheeled out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that microphone stand, that's Lemmy. That's the way Lemmy sits. Because yeah. it was a 57 inch show. down. Yeah. And I was like, that that is a very Lemmy thing to do. And then then I saw them wheeling out the Marshall. I'm like, and he plays through a Marshall half stack. He plays bass to that. So yeah. Lemmy's here. We gotta go over there. So we went over to that side and then we were probably like just ten feet in front of him, and then Lemmy came out and did a couple songs with him. Insane. And I remember he was like Tied to that one corner, yep. And his and his uh, cord for his guitar or his bass 
was just stretched across, not even touching the stage. It was like so tight. <laughs> That's so awesome. <laughs> it was like so like uh He just uh, got his exact rig from, you know, playing House of Blues two nights ago or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then they're on this massive stage and then yeah. the doors the guys are running around and he was just locked to that one little microphone. Badass. And uh so we uh, I think there's even a photo. Let's see if I can dig that up. But uh there's a photo of Patrick and I that right there. Oh, dude, um, that's right for, me. if you can find that, that's for sure the one I'm using on social media to promote this episode. <laughs> okay, um, I'll have to go way back in my Facebook, but if it's going to be anywhere, it'll be on that. That's um, so badass. So that was the last time I got to see him. I wish, yeah. I, wish I saw him on this last little run, but I, I don't think I was in town. Well, and to, and to that point about you know getting into shows that you're not necessarily, quote-unquote, supposed to be at, I've also had situations where... I have every credential necessary, but because I stopped and went, hey, um, does this get me back here? Am I supposed to go in here with this? I get stopped. Yeah. I get stopped in those situations. Those are the situations where I go, ah, whoa, 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 hold on, buddy. I want me radio over here and blah, blah, blah. That's when I have the right stuff. And well, how about even further than that? We got kicked out of our own backstage room like we weren't supposed to be in there <laughs> uh, yes. that uh, festival that we opened for Ozzy Osbourne yeah uh, yeah Chicago open air yeah yeah so we're opening up we're on the main stage yeah like the third band on the main stage of I that was, festival I, and I we are there, in our own little you. room yeah yeah no so say we are in our own <laughs> little room and then they're like you guy you gotta get out of here you're not supposed to be in here like this is our dressing room <laughs> Yeah, that that's the ultimate. We are supposed to be here, and someone's telling us we can't be here. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, and that dressing room was like right. I mean, all, right on the main stage. Like maybe that was karma getting us back for all the times I just walked past. <laughs> <Yeah>, totally. <laughs> I remember uh, uh, one year I was going to Mayhem, and I was with Bill Fold, who's the uh, festival director for. Coachella and Stagecoach and bunches of big events out here. Good friend and, and mentor to me. And uh, and we did, uh, full disclosure, we did have the right credentials and everything, but we hadn't picked them up yet. You know, and it's like you got to go wherever you're supposed to go to do all that and whatever. And he just drove right, you know, through the back entrance to where all the buses were parked and has just this fistful of laminates from like a gazillion shows. It just looks like a like you're a champion holding up the severed head of Medusa or something. And he just like held all of these laminates up and, you know, irritatingly, like he's annoyed, you know, like held them up yeah. to every security guy and just drove past every checkpoint without ever stopping. <laughs> just like holding up a bunch of laminates. And people just kind of look, look at us like, okay, like. Seems legit, I guess. <laughs> and we just literally just pulled right up to the buses. <laughs> so, uh, probably shouldn't be giving this advice to listeners, but have at it, kids. Act like act like you belong there. <laughs> it's a good trick. Yeah, because even if you do belong there and you don't act like you belong there. But this is a little side story. I'm like 16. I got my truck. I'm able to drive. And I wanted to do audio production or whatever. So a buddy down the road his dad owned a staging company and did all the big events at the local arena where mm -hmm. the Houston Rockets played and all sorts of stuff. And um, so I ran, I worked, worked with him a few times, but I got my backstage pass that was for that company because it's called Upstage 
in um, Houston. So I got an upstage laminate with my photo on it. I'm 16. I look like I'm 12. But I have a photo. And it says, you know, it's, got, it's a full, legit, it's a real backstage pass. And I worked a few events, you know, wrapping up cables or whatever. Um, well, uh, Bush and Garbage and I think maybe not Garbage. Maybe it was Goo Goo Dolls. But Bush and No Doubt and some other bands were on tour. And Bush was headlining. And I was like, oh, you know, I'll go see that show. I, I can get into that for free. So I drove by myself. Does, I was like 16. does this seem like about 1996? Maybe. Uh, yeah, because I was 16. For sure, I was 16. Um, yep, about that. Else I wouldn't that, have tried to do it. That tour was Bush, No Doubt, and the Goo Goo Dolls. There you go. Okay. So Goo Goo Dolls opening, or I don't know who was opening, but definitely Bush was headlining. And so I drove up there, drove my truck right next to the tour buses. And just parked and just got out and walked in, flashed my, you know, pass a few times. They're like, yep, yep, that's that's a legit pass. And it was the crew that I normally would work with, you know, well, I, let's say I worked with them like two times before that. That They were the staging crew for that show. So I walked in and I just walked right into catering. And I remember seeing uh, Gavin Rosdale macking on uh, Gwen. Yeah, I was gonna say like that was that was when they started dating was via that tour. So I was the first person to ever see them, dude. I, was, <laughs> I, I could have broken that story if I had an iPhone. You could. Now, have, I'm sitting you, there. You, I'm could, like, you could have been the TMZ I, of uh, 1996. Yeah, I, I remember looking over and it's catering, dude. They're sitting over there. There's like some band guys over there, some crew guys over there. They're like in the corner, like definitely kind of just flirting, kind of snuggled up next to each other. And I was like, oh, that's the singer of that one band. You know, yeah, meaning, the, the headliners uh, at the time, yeah. Well, I, I knew who uh, Gwen, uh, sorry, uh, Gavin was. I knew who the singer of Oh, so you were looking Bush at was. Gwen going, oh, that's the singer of Yeah, because I didn't yeah. listen to No Doubt or anything like that. Yeah. I was like, and oh, they, she's they, the singer of that other band. As, I mean, and they were the support band, you know, the, to to Bush. Yeah, I mean, Bush was a much bigger band at that time. Yeah, so I just remember going, wow, you know, that's kind of neat. Just, I guess, if you, you know, there's a girl and a guy on tour that, Sparks might fly, you know, kind of funny. And I just, it didn't never occur to me, you know, I never thought of it past that. But then, of course, whatever, they were, I guess, a couple forever after that. Well, I'm, I'm looking at No Doubt's tour dates from 1996. And what day was it? They were. What day was they at the summit? It's called the summit. I'll find that. But I'll tell you before that tour, I assume these were No Doubt headlining shows. They played the Catalyst in Santa Cruz. Uh, the Phoenix Theater in Petaluma, and uh, two shows at the Glass House in Pomona. Those are all, you know, to give people the idea, those are the same venues that, like, Demon Hunter is playing in 2019. So if that gives you an idea of, like, how big No Doubt was at that time. Or how or how big we're going to be 20 years from now after I <laughs> yeah, start exactly. dating a dude from Bush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me look. I'm looking for Texas. Uh Remember, was that like summertime? They have, they played a lot of shows that year. Every day feels like summertime in Houston, Texas. Uh, true. Uh, let's see. But I did drive by myself. I did that quite a bit. I went to several shows. I would just full-on drive up completely by myself. I saw Rush. Uh, they were doing a test for Echoes. That was that record that just came out, and they're supporting uh -huh. that tour. And it was just a big, long, three-and-a-half-hour show of Rush. The, so I just... the Summit, was that the venue? Yeah, the summit. That's where the that was the original arena 
name. That's like where the Rockets played. And... It was uh, March 31st. 1996. 1996? Yeah. Dude, so that was like a few... I just got my driver's license. That's what it was. I, I just turned 16 like a few days before that. Nice. <laughs> so here I am. I just drive straight into the heart of Houston, Texas from this small town just by myself. And just... <laughs> That's like, great. That's, that's, that's great, by the way, that you have the uh, you can do the math where you're like you were 16 and 96, 17 and 97. Yeah, yeah, and I can do the same thing with grades because I was in second grade in 82, third grade in 83, like all the way up to you know senior year was 92. So I, I can remember that. Otherwise, I, it would take me 10 minutes to remember what year okay. I was in yeah. what grade. So the reverse for me, I have no idea what age I was, what grade. So, yeah, but you can yeah. do you can do the year in your age. Yeah, that's fun. So yeah, so a, just a couple more Metallica things. Mm -hmm. What in your mind has, and obviously there's a million answers to this, and no one is uh, more correct than any other. But what in your mind are some of the reasons that they've had so much staying power and that they've been? You know, they're still one of the biggest bands in the world where a lot of their contemporaries, you know, I mean, it, it, it's such lightning in a bottle. And obviously the Black Album was, you know, put them far ahead of most metal and rock bands and still sells three, 4,000 copies in America a week at a time when no records sell. You know, biggest album of the Soundscan era. What do you think it is about Metallica in particular that's made them continue to be Stay so relevant? Out. Yeah. Mm, I, I may have pondered this a little bit i mean i because i can i can start accessing some of it uh yeah i wouldn't have to think too hard about it but obviously a lot of things uh let's go ahead and just say one you know management mm. keep them in line a management uh, is a good for all because they've had some bad moments there and management as, as far as i understand really worked hard to keep everything flowing you know what i mean yeah, and I would say I would argue also the consistency of that management because you know I've I've kind of broken it down before where I look at the big four and you and you look at the billing right where it was like Metallica clearly at the top and then Slayer and Megadeth pretty neck and neck but the way it, it shook out was Slayer then Megadeth then Anthrax and if you look at the organizations and the lineups. You know, I, I look at the very top and I go, Metallica's had the same management since Q Prime came on board with them. They had the same record label, you know, going from Megaforce to Elektra and then their own, you know, and lineup changes from Kill 'em All onwards. You know, there's really been very few. And obviously one of them, you know, tragically was uh, because of death. And then, and then you go down and it's like, okay, Slayer's had pretty much the same management from back in the day at the time of the big four shows they had their original lineup back and then you go down to megadeth and it's like okay you had mustaine and ellison as like the key anchors but then a lot of guitar players a lot of drummers a lot of managers a lot of record labels and then anthrax at the bottom of the bill has had the most singers <laughs> the most uh record yeah. labels the most managers so i so i kind of look at that uh obviously it's not the crucial thing but i think one crucial thing is the consistency of the team around yeah them, it can't know. it can't be oh anthrax is you know uh you know 
Scott Ian and Dan Pitts, or you know, Dan Pitts was back in the day, right? Yeah, is that his name? Yeah, it's not. So it wasn't just that. It starts forming into different things. It's like, oh, Megadeth isn't just, you know, Mustaine. Uh, it's it's got to be a lot of things. So I feel like Metallica. Metallica isn't just James Hatfield and Ulrich. You know, it's right. the other guys, and then it's the management, it's the label, and it's all, all the other things that makes them what they were. It's that their past. It's their you know their past works, their records they've done. It's it's not just well, it's just one guy. As long as we have yeah. just that one guy, it's going to be there. Um, so I think yeah, I would say it'll go ahead and management. Um, Obviously helps a lot, uh, especially like they said, the staying power of it. But then, um, when they, the other thing that I think about a lot is when you do your record, you got to do your record that you want to do. You can't chase, uh, trends. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess you could, but like you, sh- I don't know if you should. There's just no staying power in that at all. Um, uh, let's see, if you chased, uh, if, I ch- if we were chasing trends back in the day, we'd have turntables, <laughs> right? You know, right? And then, or any of my other bands, or then we're chasing. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think about Motley Crue with this. Yeah, I feel like they're really trying to chase trends, especially uh, Tommy Lee. Tommy Lee had his own solo project, and the dude wanted to sound like Third Eye Blind for like a year. Yep. You know, and, and then he had, uh, and he, had his, he had his rap metal Fred Durses in my video, and then he had now, and he wanted to be an EDM DJ recently. He, he, and, yeah. yeah, so he is like the biggest example I can come up with. Like, see what happens when you chase trends. You just, yeah, you, you got to do what was you. You got to do what you wanted to do. And I felt like they're making the records. Sorry, we we're talking about logos, and you think about. You know, with only slight modifications, that iconic Metallica logo, the iconic Slayer logo, and yeah, Motley Crue had a different logo on every record. It's like I just I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> you know, like uh, yeah. when it comes to yeah, that consists yeah, and then, like you said, the, I mean, of course, you know, the John Karabi record was their attempt to go grunge, and uh, you know, they got mad, they threw MTV out of out of the interview because they were asking about hairspray or something like that. You know, and it's like, well, you guys were the hairspray guys like five minutes ago. Yeah. Can't be mad about yeah. that. So, so here's yeah. a Jeremology for you. So, what if Starbucks their logo evolves? Right, but it's the Starbucks logo, right? Yeah. What if all of a sudden they're like, man, we we dropped a few points. Uh, what's big right now? And everyone's like, oh. uh, Apple computers, and then they all of a sudden just like copy the Apple computer or yeah. try to do something that looks like an Apple computer. All of a sudden, all the Starbucks get changed and they look like Mac stores or whatever, right? You know what I mean? It's like yeah. chasing some trend. No, man, you got to just do your thing. Um, and you can so- evolve creatively and change with the times. And yeah, like, you know, it was a big deal when Metallica cut their hair. And I remember saying to my friends at the time, well, we all cut our hair. <laughs> <laughs> but did they cut their hair because they're trying to? They felt like they're being outdated and they want to fit in with the times, or did they cut their hair because they wanted to? That's the difference. Exactly, and I think that's the so, big thing with Metallica. I think they cut their hair because they wanted to. Yeah, they absolutely. they definitely wanted to. You know, yep. they. I bet you that they had people tell them not to do that. Totally. totally. So, like, to think that they're trying to—I don't think they've ever been accused of like, oh, they're just trying to like jump you know on the bandwagon of whatever things look cool now this grunge thing i don't think they would have been trying to do that i think they just really wanted they just wanted to cut their hair and just kind of hang out 
Yeah, and, that, and that's always been my argument. Like when they when they made load and reload, uh, you know, for anyone who thinks that era was selling out, to me, I go, well, they loved Alice in Chains at the time. They're really inspired by what Alice in Chains and Soundgarden were doing, and they have always loved Led Zeppelin and Skinner and Thin Lizzy, and I think at a time when they're listening to all of the above stuff and they're not. 18-year-olds in a garage with acne and ripped-up jeans. I think it would have been selling out and fake to pretend that they were 1985 Metallica instead of 1995 Metallica, you know? I think they were yeah. true to what who and what they were at that time. And, you know, you can evolve in that sense. And, you know, I think they were the first band that really at least for, for me, for my experience as a fan, that really cemented that idea of we do what we do for ourselves first. And if other people like that and the mainstream comes to us, great. But we're not going to do things for other people. And I feel like before that, rock bands were very much, the you know, we do this for the fans and we want to give the fans what they want and the fans this and the fans that. And Metallica loves their fans and has been very... More, more fan friendly than than most but that idea though that the artistic side of it the creative side of it you you're pleasing yourself as an artist first and it everything kind of coalesces around that um i feel like metallica really pioneered that at least in the mainstream as far as uh, an ethos and something that became more acceptable you know and i think paved the way for a nirvana and, and for bands that that you know carried that torch forward yeah well i don't i don't know if it was just them going, well, it makes good business sense for us to just do what we want, or if it was just ego, but it worked. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, they just kind of followed their heart at that point, and just <laughs> maybe they didn't care about money. Maybe it wasn't, they weren't trying to make a good business decision. They just wanted to make what, do what made them sane, which is do the music they wanted, you know? Yeah. But it, I mean, it works. You know, if you do the music that's true to yourself, you know, there's something to be said for that. And then I guess the, uh, so, management and then just them wanting to do doing the music that they want to do i guess the third thing i would think that really helped out is they spent time i mean these records weren't cranked out every six months or yeah. every year they uh dude recording black album is a masterpiece because they worked on it and um if i work on a record now and i get this a lot bands want to record with me and they ask me what well, how much to do a record? And I'll say, how much? And then they'll say, well, that's a lot. I'm like, well, if you want to sound like this, a good record, this it takes time. But if you want it to sound like a demo, which was, it sounds like to me, you just want to come in and record an entire album in three days, it's, it's going to be a demo. It's, you want to put that on the shelf and be proud of that? You know, Just think about how many years or weeks or months it took you to write these 12 songs. And then get the ability to play them and then find all the players. And you just want to crank them out in three days. You know, um, it's not going to sound as good as if it could just, if it could have been like worked on and just, you know, scrutinized over. And they definitely did that on that record. And it shows as to where even today there's still, people still talk about those sounds yeah, and they still make, no, I don't know if they make money, but the people involved in making that record are making money off it. Bob rock can still sell the Bob rock drum pack yeah. and, and it just keeps getting repackaged and repackaged. 
um, you know, Tune Track will sell the Superior Drummer uh, program. And then one of their presets is like a Black Album preset. It was, you know, made and designed by Bob Rock himself. He's still like getting asked. You know, I, I remember uh, uh, one of my favorite stories, our mutual friend Cece from Blackville told me when they did a record with Bob Rock that Bob was asking him, like, so what kind of, you know, drum sounds do you like? What are some of your favorite records and what kind of tones you want to go yeah. for? And Cece was just like, uh, the Black Album? Yeah. <laughs> like, that, like, that why, that's why we hired you, know? you man. <laughs> Dr. Do Feelgood? Like, those will work? Like, I like those drum sounds. Yeah, you, what you do, what you got. <laughs> yeah. That's why we have you. That's why we're trying to get you to get what you got before, but get it for us. Totally. Yeah. Uh, I love talking to Cece about that because, you know, I knew he was, I was excited for them to go track with Bob Rock. I was like, dude, y'all got to come back and, you know, let me in on some, uh, some, you know, details. Yeah. So I think cool. it was really exciting for uh, him and Jake in particular to be with the producer that, you know, a lot of producers kind of in their genre are about the vocal melody and, and, you know, the, that side of it, which is his own, you know, I'm not saying one's better or one's worse, but for them to go work with Bob, who's like riff and kick drum, riff and kick drum. That's, that's the foundation. I think that was really exciting for those two guys in particular to get to experience that. Yeah, because he, he gets it. I mean, uh, I think I saw like a video of them in the studio with Bob Rock and they're doing drums. And I knew that CeCe had a, you know, he was a, he had to just kind of play the parts in the previous records. But in this one, he walked in and he was so excited because CeCe's an amazing metal drummer. Yeah. And I knew that. And I, I worked with them for quite a bit. And I knew he was going to do nothing but impress Bob you know, in the studio. And I was just excited for that because normally a, a crazy, awesome drummer like that is getting kind of like nerfed a little bit in the studio. Cause yes. you got to just kind of let the song breathe. But I, I can just hear on that record that Bob's like, nah, man, just do your thing. Dude, this is crazy. You're coming with awesome stuff. And then I think Bobby, I, you could just really see the joy in his face watching CC play drums. Plus to do such a wild, fun, wacky character. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it was just kind of fun to have around in the studio. Yeah, he's so, uh, not not Bob, but Cece is a wild, wacky character. Yes. So I'm sure he really cracked Bob up quite a bit. Yeah, and Cece is a uh, future speaking destroy guest for sure. So I'm digging all of his Bob Rock stories. Yeah, love that dude. That does it for my conversation with Jeremiah Scott of the band Demon Hunter. You can keep up with all things Demon Hunter at demonhunter.net and blessedresistance.com. I want to thank everybody for the support of Speak and Destroy. It means the world. There are a lot of you listening in lots of different parts of the world. And that is badass and killer. What I would like to ask you to do, and you know it's coming, please, if you're listening via some sort of Apple device and Apple podcast, go in and write a nice little review and leave a five-star rating. I promise those would really help with visibility and people discovering the podcast. There are a lot more of you listening than there are people who've written reviews if you've written a review and left a five-star rating already thank you if you haven't please do so i mean you could do it right now if you're if you're if you made it to this outro i mean you know it's a few extra what 30 seconds a minute uh i don't know should i give people something i'll figure that out maybe i'll maybe i'll offer some sort of incentive um although right now it'd be nice if you just did it out of you know your love of the podcast and the kindness of your Metallica heart. 
Check out previous episodes with guests like M. Shadows of Avenged Sevenfold, Rob Flynn of Machine Head, Rob Halford of Judas Priest, Lizzie Hale of Hailstorm, Gary Holt of Exodus and Slayer, David Ellison of Megadeth, and many, many more. Speaking Destroy is part of the Pop Curse Podcast Network. Check out our other podcasts, No Prize from God, featuring conversations with creative people about belief, unbelief, and everything between. Episodes include interviews with Jeremiah Scott's bandmate, Ryan Clark, vocalist of Demon Hunter, Tim McTagg from Under Oath, Satir from Satyricon, Dwid Hellion of Integrity, Sister Kate of the Sisters of the Valley, a.k.a. the Weed Nuns, and many, many more. Hoosier Illusion is a new podcast I do with my buddy Neil, where we get real deep about mental health, and there is Pop Curse, the podcast. Pop culture is a blessing and a curse. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryan Downey, on Instagram at SuperheroHQ. You can keep up with the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And as always, you guys have been great, and I've been Ryan J. Downey.